0: hip-hop hustle podcast man you heard it here first he's not playing no aaron's not
1: playing no fucking game oh
0: don't crack me with the guitar
1: you got your ear to the streets man much love to all the people down under and make sure y'all follow the hip-hop hustle podcast man because they are giving y'all nothing but the real shit but yeah man appreciate the intro bro
0: yeah let's do it man let's kick it off shout out to the whole hip-hop hustle podcast what's up with it all right there we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm really excited about my next guest. It is the one and only Omega Red, which I love the name as well. <laughs> yeah, the cheers in the background. I certainly love it. Um, and Omega Red, man, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You've, you've got quite an interesting story to tell. You've got like a like a a history that is outside of hip hop. And then you've also got, you know, relations to Donna Summers, the late great as well. Um, You've been in films, like you've been in Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island, which I absolutely love that movie. So I like just, just in terms of when I found that out, I was like, Oh, man, I wonder what it was like to, like, just be in the background. and
1: I got some stories, man, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've
0: also worked with KRS-One, one of the great legends in hip-hop as well. So, yes. man, absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
1: I'm honoured, man. Thank you for having me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm trying to get, you know, my name back out there. You know, I'm in the forefront of music again, and uh, what a great way to do it in Australia, you know, get that, you know, get my fan base up in Australia, you know?
0: Well... I'm sure it's it's weird. Like you, I think every artist starts to realize that you know everyone wants to be a local hero, but then like there are so many fans globally that like sometimes even I forget that like there are people outside of Australia, and you find the weirdest countries just starting to listen to your stuff. So, um, I, like, do you does it take you a minute to realize like when? Because I feel like sometimes we're just consumed in our own world that we forget that there are people. Like literally half a globe away, listening.
1: Uh, Well, actually, no, man. Like I've been always like on that international platform ever since I started. Um, I remember I used to get royalty checks from like South Africa. Like my first single was called Soul Plap, and like most of my checks were coming from like South Africa. They were like killing it, you know that song. So um, that's I understood the power of international. You know, being you know international um, because. you only need like a million followers, people to follow you like all around the globe. I'm not talking about just like in one you know, country, but I think you have a million followers, people following you. I think you'll be good. You know, you're you'll have a good fan base. But nowadays you have like really small core fan bases and you're independent. So that money's like triple when they purchase something because you don't have to you don't have to give that money to anybody. That money goes straight into, you know, uh, your pocket.
0: So you were saying you were on, like, you're coming back in the music industry. Were you, did you take a bit of a break?
1: Took a little bit of a break. Um, uh, and I got into the music publishing. Actually, I wasn't doing the business, you know, because I started to understand it was a business. And I wanted to understand, like, how can I make more of this this royalties? You know, because I was getting, I'm making some decent money on royalties in my first singles. But I was like, how can I get more of this? And then um, I've always had an entrepreneur spirit. And um, I started going to like a lot of societies, you know, conventions like ASCAP and BMI. I would go to their conventions and just try to make connections with people in the um, business side of music publishing, because a lot of people didn't understand. I didn't really know what publishing was back then. I heard of it, but I didn't know there was actually publishing for music. So uh, I just, you know, I was studying. I was studying the business. And once I, you know, landed a couple of uh, uh, co-publishing deals, Learned how the system works. And then what I did is I started my own publishing company, which is State Grounded Music. And I was teaching younger kids, you know, younger producers and artists, how they can make money in the business without, you know, a lot of them want to get that big hit or that, you know, that big record. And I was like, well, okay, well, while you're doing that, like just do some stuff for TV and film so you can like just make a living off of your, mu- off of your music while you're pursuing those higher goals. So therefore you can just focus on music hundred um, percent you know, it's, you know, young people, you know, sometimes they want to, you know, they want that, you know, ass money. Well, I can get that in the street or I can get that. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, that's cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to create legacy for you. And uh, a lot of them would hit these walls and then they would come back like, Rob, you know, you still got that opportunity? I'm like, yeah. And then once they see the opportunity and they see the money start coming in, that's when they realize how you know lucrative it can be, and and uh and I was like, yeah, see, you wasted like two years, you know, um, you wasted two years of being skeptical, right? And uh and then once they start to realize how much money they can make, then they want to start renegotiating deals with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm here to inspire and teach people because when I was younger, like the older G's, the OGS, they didn't really teach me anything. They're more like trying to suppress. The new wave and the new energy that was coming through. So I always wanted to give passed down knowledge to the next generation.
0: So talk to me about that, like as older artists trying to suppress new artists. Like
1: I, I think I think a lot of it comes from just um, you know uh, artists like older artists being um, a little envious because they don't own a lot of their stuff their their intellectual property and the younger people do. And the opportunity and the technology is much more advanced, so there's a lot of more avenues that younger people can address. But I'm an old. I'm I'm not saying I'm super old. or I'm not, but like I'm open to learn. Like if I'm teaching someone, I'm learning from. You know, you can. We all can learn from each other. Like I I have wisdom. You know, what I'm saying the young kids got that energy and that swag. You know, and and the, the new lingo. So it's like I as much as they get from me, I get, I get from them as well. So I share my knowledge. They share their knowledge with me. So I just think a lot of it's just resentment and uh, a lot of older artists just, you know, they're just, they're just upset that they didn't make, you know, better decisions in their career.
0: It's, um, it's interesting, though, because you would think that they would want to see new artists not make the same mistakes
1: that they did. You have some, some of them do. Some of them do, you know, uh, but there's a lot that doesn't.
0: <laughs> Why do you think yeah. that is? Like, why do you think?
1: Like I I said, like resentment, you know, they just resent the fact that it wasn't them that, you know, didn't, you know, didn't make wise decisions. And uh, it's like, it's like, it's just like, you know, if you beat your parents, right? Like your parents beat you as a kid and then you have kids and then like, you're like, well, I used to get beat. So I'm going to, you know, my child, you know what I'm saying? But that's not really, that wasn't a healthy relationship. Right. So it's just like what they would. Sometimes they want to pass down what they learned and or what they didn't learn. So um, I just think it's resentment. And sometimes they just, you know, they could just be dream killers. But me personally, I didn't want to be that. You know, I didn't want to be that way when I got old enough to be able to pass down, you know, knowledge and, you know, and game to the young generation. So um, so that's what I pretty much focus on. I just focus on like the positive side of things, you know, I, I like breaking generational curses. That's That's what I'm really about, you know.
0: Well, I think that's a great outlook to have and a great mindset to have. And it's interesting when you talk about like young people and what they want to be rich and famous for and like where they want to earn money. It's like it's weird because I think when we're all when like we're thinking about how we're going to be successful, we think right. of like all the lucrative shit. We think of like right. all the cool stuff. But then there are people who make money in the most random places ever. And they're richer than we'll ever know. But they made a lot of money. And it's like, oh, sometimes you gotta look outside of like what your ego's telling you. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just gotta make the right like business to see if that's what you want to do, the business decision.
1: Well, it was it's music the music, you know, the music industry, there's the music industry and you got the business, music business. So it's, you know, uh the music industry is a lot of smoke and mirrors, um, a lot of you know, uh, a lot of people selling their soul for fame, you know, you see here a lot of these situations where people are in deals and yeah, you got the fame and, you know, you got all this going on, but you don't really, you owe a lot of people money because you like you sold off your publishing or, you know, you're, you, you got money lent to you and at a high interest rate, that's pretty much what a label is, you know? So um, you find that a lot, a lot of situations. Um, I just think some and some people, would just come from a situation or, you know, in their environment where it's like they just want to get out so bad, they'll take any type of deal to get them out of their situation. And I, I'm, not, I'm not going for, you know, the, what they're doing in a situation, but, you know, but they have to like they just got to have a little bit more, um, I would say, uh, belief in themselves and just follow the, the, the if they truly believe in themselves and, and want to stay independent, um, follow that path. Right. Because I've been independent my whole career. Like I have not got signed to one label. Did I used to meet with them? Yes. Um, did they tell me like, oh, my music wasn't popping, or this not what they're looking for? Yes, they told me all that before, but that didn't stop me. So they just have to have insane confidence and belief in themselves, and once the, and be consistent. And once they do that, it will it will come to them. You know, it will come to them. But some people are in situations where they just feel like they have to. You know, they got to sell their. You know, they got to sign on a dotted line because they're in a situation where like, they feel it's urgent that they need to get out of the situation they're in. So, you know, I, I see I seen that a lot, you know, and, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, everyone has choices to make. And, you know, some you learn from, you know, either you learn or you don't learn. So, yeah,
0: I do find it. I do find it ethically a little bit corrupt. Like, where oh, yeah. you know, you put a, a piece of paper in front of somebody. They are in a bad spot. They're in a tough spot. This is probably money they've never seen in their life. Right. Like in terms of just the amount that is offered on the table. So right. like you get blinded by the check and you forget right. about everything else. And especially because a lot of people like, don't worry about getting a lawyer. Like we got our studio lawyer. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like
1: that's the worst decision they have ever made.
0: <laughs> it hundred percent is. But the thing about being young is like, you don't think about that because you, yeah, don't, you don't have the about, experience.
1: Yeah. You don't think about the end game. And that's, and that's the thing, like the young generation is super smart, but they don't have the experience. Like you can, you can have knowledge and, you know, but wisdom is all about applying the knowledge that you, that you have. Right. And they don't have the experience about how to apply that knowledge. So that's where I kind of come in and try to guide them and, you know, show them where to go. Cause I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, I, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned, from those mistakes very quickly and i just bounce back right so um once i realized there how the business actually works the music industry i i, I could i could care less about what the industry is doing you know because i have a lot of friends that are doing extremely well and touring the world you know and you don't hear them on radio they cultivated their own fan base and their crowd and that's what you have to do like you have to cultivate you know, your own, your own fan base, your own crowd. And I call them, you know, I, I call them like, uh I call them my super fans. You know, I call them Omega Red super fans.
0: Well, I think it's cool because like when I think about it, there's like how many people on the planet? There's 1.6 billion in India alone. I think there's like what mm-hmm. 360 or 380 million in the US. So like, and you said all you need is like a million fans globally. So when yeah, you think that's about it. that's it, that's all you need. So like, that is a big number in a, but it's also nothing in comparison to how many potential listeners you have. So right. it's actually, I think more achievable than we ever thought. I think you're right. The internet and, and like technology has made it really achievable.
1: Um, yeah. We're we, yeah, we're in a digital, I call it the digital dope game. You know, like we're in the, we're in the digital era where, our reach is very far It's just you know um it's just having the right team around you the right marketing team and the right people to get you know the find your the the people who love your music and your niche and what you are doing so i but i have different verticals too so my situation is a little bit different because i'm in actually into business fintech and entertainment so you know i have so I'm, I'm, i started to merge the two because uh, a lot of people in the corporate america they were um they, I told them I did music and I didn't really get in depth about it. But when they started to look me up, they were like, dude, man, what the fuck, man? Like, you really you really are in this shit, man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And are just like, what the fuck are you doing here in Buffalo? Like, you know, they just felt like all the stuff I accomplished just thus far. Like, I shouldn't be living in like a city of Buffalo. And I'm just like, well, why shouldn't I live here? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a great city. You know, I, I see the benefits of living in, in a place like Buffalo. But a lot of people who grew up there, you know, they just see it differently because they were born and raised there. But I see an opportunity when I moved to Buffalo. You know,
0: what opportunity did you say?
1: Uh, social. I understand social economics, so I was able to own a lot of property for cheap because the the economy, you know, pretty much recession proof because it just it's just a low income area, you know. So um, I was able to, you know, out there and pur- purchase, you know, uh, real estate. Um, and living in Boston and New York City, like the real estate's crazy right so i wanted to go to a place where it was unsaturated um and then i can offer my talents to my guests to help uplift you know people you know the community uh,
0: clearly it's been paying off so you know, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I wanted to know because you touched on you going into labels and them telling you it's not popping off and you know your music's not going the right way whatever they're saying how did how did that feel at that time? Because I'm sure you're excited by those meetings, like with oh, these. Oh yeah, I was definitely labels.
1: excited by those meetings in the beginning. But you know, some of the A and R's I knew, like I just knew them through like networking. So, um, I mean, did I believe what they were saying? No, I didn't believe what they were saying because I'm I'm out here in real time doing shows and performing, and I see how people respond to my music, right? So it's a machine, right? The 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 labels are pretty much machine. So it's like I wasn't doing what was the end of a part of that wave, right? So if I'm not part of that wave, you know, it's not going to fit or this is not popping right now. But what I realized A&Rs, uh, I'm not saying all A&Rs are that way, but I noticed a lot of A&Rs, they're not, they're not like, follow, they're not leaders, right? They're followers. They, fought, they ride the waves of uh, independent artists or artists who are popping. And then once they reach that peak, that's when they go scoop them up. But the artist already did all the work. So I think what happens is that, you know, because you're so different and this is what's working for everybody right now, this machine, that's what they'll say. It's like, this is not popping because this is what's popping right now. But that's what you want to be a disruptor. You notice a lot of uh, artists who make it big, astronomically big, they become their disruptors, right? And they get to the point where they got their own fan base. Everyone's rocking with them. And then that's when they and r was like, oh, they start to look at the numbers. So it's kind of a numbers game too, you know? So, you know, um, at that time, I, I mean, I was buzzing. So, and they just was just like, you know what, this is not it right now. And this is like back in the MySpace days too. Like, this is like almost 20 plus years ago. So it wasn't as, we didn't have like Spotify or you know, all that stuff. iTunes. I don't think, I don't think we, I don't even think we had iTunes now. So I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, iPods
0: were the, I think like it was the beginning of like iPods. Yeah. And shit like that.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm outdating myself, but, <laughs> 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 but, but I just started really young. Just put it that way. <laughs> but I think that's just what it is. I, I just never listened to them, you know? And then, you know, then once, st- then when I started getting like big features and working with big artists, then they would come around like, oh man, I'm sorry, man. That's just what the labels wanted, man. Like, you know, I always believed in you. I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, so. Yeah, I also I mean, think
0: it's a negotiation tactic. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's them trying to make you feel like you don't provide more value, mm-hmm. and then they can get you on a cheaper deal.
1: Like, that, that that too. But I always, I always kind of knew, I kind of always knew my value. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it can be disappointing and it could be, uh, it could, it could, you know, it could knock you down for a little bit, but, you know, I think everyone goes through that, you know, but uh, I, had, I hadn't seen faith and faith and confidence in myself. So I just kept moving forward. And, you know, I took a lot of risk early in my career, you know, I, you know, I took a lot of risk that, and some of it paid off, you know, um, I was willing to invest in myself. I was willing to barter. I was willing to travel and do showcases all over the country. And, uh, it, I, you know, and eventually, you know, things got things popped off when I moved to New York City, I met my own publicist and she grew up with Jay-Z and she was Jay-Z's publicist for about 20 years. And, you know, as soon as I met her, man, like my career like took off. Like I had all the connections I needed.
0: It's interesting when you kind of look back on your journey because like I kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the show, but like you've been in the military. I also saw that you went to prison and yes. you're an artist. You're successful. You're buying property. Like it feels like you've been on a – huge journey in terms of like all the ups and downs in terms of if almost anyone could go through but like what was the timeline around those different pieces in your life oh man uh
1: the timeline oof um yeah man i don't know it's like a lot you know i feel like i live like seven different lives already man but um the timeline is like i, I went to military very young 17 right out of high school my father was just like you know what um you got two choices you know uh get out the house or you go in the military i suggest that you go in the military in the air force you're smart you know so um my dad pretty much kicked me out after high school <laughs> Damn. so so i went i went into the air force so uh this is like 90s like so i went in the air force from 95 to 2000 so while i was in the military that's why i did a lot of traveling visit a lot of different countries and then when I came home I was still young. I had a hustle still had that hustle mentality, like street mentality. And that's when I kinda went back in the streets. And then like maybe I would say like nine or ten months later, that's when I got locked up for three and a half years. So that's when I got locked up. So when then when I got out, that's when I said, you know what, I'm gonna take this music stuff serious. And that's when I like went all in. And um I'll say about six, seven months after that, I got, you know, I got my first single on radio in in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, it was called Soul Clap and uh, Four Four Five. They uh, played it. I met this DJ, his name DJ Robo Boza, and uh, he loved the record and blasted me off. I was like the first independent artist they ever played um, on uh, commercial radio in Boston.
0: That's awesome. So that period in the military, like, what was it like? Because I feel like we hear... Like about the military, but like about the past 10 years in terms of what the military was like, you know, from 2010 to like 2020. But we don't hear what it was like pre-2020s. Like Yeah, so
1: I just missed Desert Storm. I just missed that Desert Storm. So I went in 95 um, and I was in the Air Force. So it was a little bit different because, um, you know, you did have you have departments that do combat, but I was more of the support. So I, I did logistics. I was a vehicles operator. So I ran convoys and I would load up um, C-5s and um, F-14s and stuff like that. Um, so um, and then I would run convoys overseas. And then when I got back to the States, I did protocol. But I mean, I mean, I was living my best life, man, in the Air Force. I ain't gonna lie, man. I was in my best life. But what I didn't like is the fact that uh, I was kind of like I wasn't free to do anything I wanted to do. But I got to travel and I got to see a lot. I learned a lot. I had culture shocks, and But I got to learn a lot about culture and learn about like. Real poverty is right, like a third world country poverty. Like, I would come back home, like, this ain't poor. poor. Like, I, I know people that I see people who live in like really bad situations. Like, you need to be grateful, you know what I'm saying? Like, because this is you think this is bad, this is not bad, you know. Do you
0: remember where that was?
1: Oh, where where, where did I see that in India? Yeah, India, saw, India, like, this, you got rich and you poor, that's it. Like, people don't have toilets, you know, even in Africa, like, you, it's just, it's some areas is really bad, you know? It's just like, ooh, like, uh, you know, this is this is real ghetto right here, you know?
0: Yeah, did, did you feel like, uh I'm actually lucky?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely, I felt, definitely felt blessed, you know? Being, a, you know, being African-American and being in America, like, you know, we all go, we go through our struggles, but it's worse in other places, <laughs> you know, so...
0: Yeah, and then what? What was it like coming back? Because you were in the military for five years, and personally, or oh, for four years. So you were in the military for four years because, and then the thing that you described is like you're you're living your best life, but you don't really, you're not really free to make your own choices. That's the thing right. to me that has always been like, I don't think, like, I don't know. You you were seventeen when you went, so it's. I mean, you're a different person now as an adult. Yeah. Like, it's obviously extremely different, but. You get back, I'm assuming you're around 21, 22. Mm-hmm. What did you feel like when you left? Like, what was the the moment where you're like, all right, I'm done with the military. Now, what am I going to do?
1: Oh, um, that's what I've said. Like, uh, so, you know, I came back when I, when, I, when I came back. I was overseas for two years. When I came back, I, I was stationed. I did like six. I, I would do like these temporary duty stations. called It's called T D Y. Each six months, I would move to a different base in the United States. So I was just, you know, traveling, staying at base-to-base all through the United States, like East Coast and to like the, um, like, you know. And um my last duty station was back home at Hanscom Air Force Base in Boston. Um, and then I think that's when I, I was home and I started like getting around like some of my old friends and some of the old hustlers. And that's what kind of like dragged me back into that. But, um. I was home for like two, I, I was back for like two and a half years before I got out of the military. So I was already acclimated back in, you know, to, you know, uh, American culture, American life, you know, but um, I just had a lot of experience and I had a lot of knowledge at a young age, but I didn't know how to apply it. It's interesting. And I, actually, I did, actually, I did apply it pretty good, but I applied it in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was doing a lot of hustling. So I was like, I was like the guy, you know what I'm saying? I was like more of like the The brains of operations you know i'm like i'm not gonna be on the streets hustling and you know selling street you know drugs on the corner but you know i'm the distributor though (laughs) you know yeah did you you must have felt like you you
0: couldn't get caught you know what i mean oh yeah i
1: thought i was above the law man i thought i was you know i had my cousins they would come like rob man what are you doing bro like because you know i'd be walking around i'd be driving around with like 100 pound of weed and you know just being out of control man you know what i'm saying and money just Hand over fist, you know. I was just, yeah. I did think at one point I was invincible, you know.
0: And then, bam,
1: it's. And bam, yeah. Well, actually, you know, my situation was, you know, was, you know, a high a childhood friend of mine. He, uh, he just, uh, he ended up like just messing up a lot of money and messing up a lot of things, and he ended up uh, actually uh, testifying in court, and that that's what put me away for three and a half years. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Betrayal. You know, so
0: Yeah, it's rough It's 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 it's, Yeah, I mean, especially people close to you Like you
1: think Yeah, well, it's the ones that are closest to you, man Like, you know, that will do you in You know, over jealousy and stuff like that But, you know, that was like That was a lifetime ago, man Did I forgive him? Yeah, you know, but Do I forget? No But I realized that, you know, God had a purpose for me So, you know, I even ran into him Like maybe like 10 years after that fact and he was like, he was kind of provoking me. He was trying to provoke me to do something, like. And I was just, like, saying I had to stop. I was like, wait a minute, I got way too much going on for myself, and I got, I'm, I'm starting to blow up and do all this stuff. And I was like, you don't got nothing to lose, like you know. So I got way more to lose, you know. So I had to start thinking like that, you know, just having more emotional intelligence, you know. Yeah, and I feel like that
0: provocation is a reflection of like his guilt. You know what I mean? Like he feels guilty. He hasn't seen you in a long time. So he's trying to start something so that he can, I don't know. There's like this weird kind of, you know, if you fight me and you beat me up, that's you getting your revenge. And then I feel less guilty because it's like, you got your way back in a weird way.
1: Well, that too. Or, you know, he could snitch on me again and put me back in jail. <laughs> he to me. You know what I'm mean? saying? Like, cause I, he's, he's no, he was known for that. He was known for being like a, you know, uh, an arc or a snitch or something like that when you say so. I didn't even realize that until, like, later on, so. But I just know that he was trying to evoke something out of me to pull me back to where he is in, in the mud. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do anything. But he did call my cousin and was like, oh, I seen I seen bro, Rob, man, just tell him to chill. And then my cousin's like, Rob, though, chill out, man, chill out. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, what do you mean chill? Like, I ain't, he was the one popping off in I say, and don't, my cousin, I was like, "Don't you, you, you know, you put me in way for three and a half years, right? Like, you expect me to just, you know, walk away and not say nothing, you know? I walked away, but I definitely said something, you know. But I walked away, you know. I think that was a big step. I think that right there was a big step for me. Like, okay, all right, now I know, you know, that you know, I'm on a, I'm on a different type of path and different journey. You know, what I'm saying I had to leave the streets alone. Do you find that you
0: have to give the same advice to? young artists that you see that like you know stay on the straight and narrow
1: i try to but if i talk to them once i could i could usually tell if they're absorbing it or not because you can see in their eyes you know the eyes are the key to your soul and if they're not trying to hear what you're trying to say you can see that they have this first of all they won't even look you in the eyes when they talk to you or i just see this glaze it's almost like they're possessed by some demonic spirit
0: how do you how do you react to like because obviously you care you care enough to be like, you experienced it. You're like, I've gone through it. I've seen the route that it can go down. You know, I managed to get out. Not everyone is so lucky. But when you're giving advice and they're not listening or they, maybe not even capable of hearing, like, what is the feeling you have? And then do you still work with them? Do you still keep going?
1: No, no, no. I just walk away. You just got you have to, like, you know what I'm saying? Because their energy is can be infectious too. Like you can just be hanging around with them and they got a whole bunch of shit going on in the streets and you just hanging out with them and someone comes and fuck them up and you you you, you catch the crossfire. You know what I'm saying? So nah. Like I if, if they're not hearing me, I just walk away. And sometimes you just gotta become polarizing. Like I like to lead by example too. So if I if I try to give someone advice, like I, I'm leading by example. I'm showing you it's it's working. You know, a lot of people it's like show me, right? Show me it works. So I have to do that a lot. I always have to um, lead by example. Um, and if they want to come along and start to learn, then great. But if not, I, hey, it's that's on them. You know, I can't. I, I'm not. I, I can't hold people's hands. I can't force people to want to be great or want to do better in life. They have to want it. You know, they have to. If not, I'm not going to waste my time.
0: Yeah, it's like the saying, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink.
1: Yep, just like my song. I got a single called Boss Moves. It talks about all the stuff we're just talking about right now. Everybody you know,
0: make sure you listen.
1: Yeah, you know, people say you change when you level up. And it's not you're changing, it's just that you change your mindset because you want better our life and you want to create generational wealth and you want to take care of your family and friends and people who want to do better in life. You know, and me always being independent, you know, I was making boss moves, So that's why I feel like that's good.
0: And You start to realize how important the people around you are, oh yeah, it's, very important.
1: yeah, because I mean you like I realized that um you know you're the f- you're the sum of like five degrees of people that are around you, right, so it's like I want to become educated in the business, I want to work with these people. I had to put myself in that environment, and I know what success looked like because I've seen it before too, so um, you know, I've seen the formula numerous, numerous times, you know what I'm saying? But I had, a, I mean, honest with you, sometimes I not even apply it because I was somewhere else, you know, but, but yeah, that's what you got to do. Like you have to, if you want to be successful, if you want to like have positivity around you, you have to engulf yourself around those type of environments and the people, you know, that, that are, have the main, uh, the same
0: mindset. I think a lot of people look just within themselves to the change, but, You'll often find that if you look at who's around you, that'll be one of the first key pillars to change before you can change yourself.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You got to look around. You got, but a lot of people, they, a lot of people will look around them, but they won't. Like I, I tell one of my friends all the time, I'm like, bro, just because I'm not around you all the time doesn't mean I don't care about you and want to help you. You know, but sometimes you have to love people from afar too because they have all these people around them and they're not guiding them the right way. But can you tell them that right now? No, because like they can't see that because they're. It's like I'm like on the outside looking in; they're the inside looking out, right? They see people around them all the time. So I think a lot of people feed off of people or being around them all the time. Like I don't need someone around me all the time, but do I need? But the company I do keep when I'm out, that's very important to me. You know, the people that I'm having conversations with. Mindset wise, like a lot of people I do business with, they become friends because we are we're like minded. So and I have friends that I grew up with that aren't doing the things that I'm doing. They're my friends. Yes. We talk on a day to day basis. No, because um, they're not doing the things that I'm doing. But if I see them, is it love? Oh, hey, how are you doing? This is that. It's all love, you know. But unfortunately, they're just not in my circle because they're not doing the things that I'm doing. You know, it's really about the mindset.
0: Yeah. And and they also don't really get what you're doing either like it's just because like it just becomes a very different life that you start Mm -hmm. there's the like the similarities become really different and you know i see it amongst you know some of my friends as well as like oh i like you and i remember us as like kids but like we just don't have the same things in common anymore the things you talk about and the things i talk about are very different like we just different. we just don't see eye to eye. Like you've got different priorities, I got different priorities, and we're cool. Like as you said, like yeah, we're still cool, we're still friends. But like it's probably why we don't hang out as much.
1: Well, that I mean, yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's what happens. You know, <laughs> it's called the friend gap. You know, we some people just outgrow each other. You know, and it's not a bad it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just the interest change and agendas. You know,
0: it is interesting to see who's still friends with like all the people that they were friends with in high school. Like a lot of people yeah. just like, that's it. Like that's they're their friends for life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much cool with everyone I went to high school with. um, And I have no issues with a lot of them, but I think a lot of them didn't think I was going to be the person I am today. So when I do see that some people that went to like my, you know, a uh, 20 year reunion, you know, they may feel a certain way when they see me because they may feel like they're not where they feel they should be at in life. You know, but me, I'm just cool. Like you see me, it's like, you know, I'm the same guy. I never changed, you know, and then, you know, they'll see, they see that they seen that, like I'm the same person, you know, but, um, you know, that's, that's just other people's problems, man. It's not my problem, man. It's that people got to fix themselves, man.
0: <laughs> I did, I did read something in- interesting the other day. It was like, you'll be surprised at how many people watch from afar.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of ghost followers, you know, um, when you do something that's very polarizing that they can't deny, that's when you, they start coming out the woodworks. My mom always told me that's like, Rob, once you have something or got a record, you do something undeniable, no one can deny it. You'll see, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to see that now, you know, cause you know, a lot of people thought I was like kind of, uh, not washed up, but just, you know, gave up the music, but they didn't realize I was behind the scenes doing stuff, you know, doing theme songs for TV and, you know, TV and movie you know, really getting up, really getting that bread, you know what I'm saying? And just studying that because I want all my music now to be cinematic. So whenever I put out a single or put out a video, like the visuals are, are cinematic, almost movie-like, like short films, but it also pitches it to the TV and films, music supervisors, where like, oh, this will go great in a movie, right? So, and that's when the big bucks kick in, right? So that's what I've learned, you know? Because I
0: got big budgets.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! They're big ones,
0: man. <laughs> oh yeah. Speaking of movies, we we kind of alluded to Shutter Island. We've made I think mm-hmm. people wait like forty minutes for us to talk about Shutter yeah. Island. Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you get your part in it as an orderly?
1: All right, so I mean, it, I play orderly. Like not a big, not a big, you no, know, uh, not a big uh, uh, part, but you know. You still get uh, to say
0: a, you were a in a Martin yeah. Scorsese movie.
1: Yeah, I was in a. I was a principal extra, and like the scene that they shot was like really close, like um, Mark Ruffalo and it Was you know it was a real close scene, so I had to be there for two weeks. to was true, that scene over and over again. Um, so uh, Martin Scorsese, he's really tiny, he's really short. I was really surprised how short he was. I was like, we <laughs> really short, but um, and he was just like he, he was really calm and cool and. Just kind of like you know, just walking around, um, and I was just like, just standing there. And um, hold on a second. Is that, is that cool? That the dog's barking. Is I'm sorry. Uh,
0: yeah, I was gonna say if we could get the dog to stop barking, that'd be ideal. I know
1: it's easier said than done. All right, hold on a second. All right, sorry about that. Oh, good. Um. So um. So anyways, so this is what I remember. So all right, so before that. Leo was in his trailer. So, you know, I'm all, we're all, all the, you know, extras are just chilling in in this one spot. And I found like a lot of the extra people, they were like trying to like, they thought they were like, they thought they were like superstars. I'm just like, we're just extras, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just like chilling, just being myself in the corner. And every time they see Leonardo, they were like trying to say stupid stuff to him. And I was just kind of like chilling, like not just kind of staying away from all the, you know, all the people trying to like, you know, showboat or whatever. So Leo would always like say, "What's up to me?" Because I guess he just noticed that I was a little different. Like I wasn't really, you know, uh, bought into like the old Hollywood stuff. He would just like, "Hey, what's up, man? What's, you know, what's, what's good?" And then like he like smoked uh, marble lights. So like, you know, we share marble light and shit, and just hit and then we'll go to his uh, trailer, and then uh. Everyone come up to me like, "What do he say? What do he say to you? What do he say to you?" And I was just like, we were just talking, like, you know, it was just having a conversation." <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, there was one scene where uh, I guess uh, Marty thought that Leo was overacting, so the the assistant director was like, uh, oh, "Leo, I think we got to do a scene over again." Marty didn't he thought she was overreacting, and Marty like, no, "No, no, 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 Leo! You know, you did awesome. You did great. You did great, Leo." I'm like, "Damn!" I'm like, "I'm like, he's kissing his fucking ass." <laughs> like, uh, that's why I knew like the power of Leo now the camera. I'm like Demarcus is like kissing his fucking ass, and that's why I knew like the power of Leo. But then he's an amazing actor. Like I seen him go into his like method. His he went into like the method acting, and like he had his little Cliff notes. And then as soon as the camera was on, man, like he switched it on, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like I was like, whoa, man, this dude's amazing. Like I like I actually got to see him like turn into you know that character like right away, and um, you know that's kind of how I got inspired to continue to do TV and film and uh, shout out to JT Tronius. Cause he's the one that, uh, actually got me to cat, uh, to, um, apply for the, you know, for the casting and they picked me. So that has some accolades, you know, um, prior, you know, cause they were shooting in Boston and, um, they were like looking for, you know, um, you know, extra. So they wanted to have extra people who actually, you know, had some type of social media influence and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I was just, I, I, I just bit it on the women. man. I didn't think I was going to get it. I didn't think they were going to pick me, but they picked me. I'm like, oh shit, you know. And then I, I got bit by the acting bug, you know. Um, so that was my my first actual like introduction into Hollywood film.
0: It's so crazy that that's your first introduction.
1: All right, and it, and I seen it, like I watched the movie Magic, like they had the screens and the tarps and all that. And then when I actually seen the movie, I'm like, whoa! I'm like, man, like crazy, you know, and uh. Yeah, so that's that's my first start.
0: I have heard stories of like other other really like the top actors, like where mm-hmm. literally the experience that you had, which was like, holy fuck, they're amazing. Like yeah. it's distractingly so good that you forget you're supposed to not watch and you're supposed to act as well, and you're like, god damn, like that you can all of a sudden you see the gap between like the greatness and the greats, and you see why they're so good, it's it's almost like athletes in a way. Like, you know, you just get to see what makes them amazing. Like, I, I would be exactly like you. I'd be like just watching, and I'd just I would, literally forget.
1: Yeah, I, w- I mean, I was just watching a lot and observing and just, and I was just being, you know, I, I was the type of person, like I observe and watch everything. So a lot of the uh, people that were on set and working, like, like they would I would like give them this look. They give me the look like, yeah, we I seen that too, you know. So so there's a lot of talking without of uh, me saying anything. And I, I, you know, I you know, I have this energy about me where, you know, it kind of stands me out because of it's like a you know, it's it's like a non spoken type of energy. Like, I don't know, they see some type of light in me or something like that, or positivity. So I you know, I'm just a positive guy. So I think that's what a lot of people can feel my like positive energy, you know.
0: It is interesting, though, when you talked about uh, Martin Scorsese being scared of Leo.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was crazy. Like, he was, like, literally kissing his butt, and I was just, like, so shocked. But that's when I respected, like, I'm like, Leo's the man. Like, he is the man. And I, I still think Leo's the man. I think he's an amazing actor, you know, so.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it, because they've done a number of films together,
1: Martin Scorsese and Leo. Oh, yeah.
0: So I'm su- it surprises me that that was the way he had to go about it. Because like, if you and I had a working relationship, I don't think we'd have to have. I I wouldn't have to be like, hey, can you tell? Uh, can you tell him to? Uh, and then I'd be like, no, 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 man, that was great. Like it's yeah. it's weird to me that that's the relationship that you saw.
1: Yeah, I just think I just think it was one of those moments where like Martin was just didn't want because I I think Leo gave him a look like on um, disapproval, like what you didn't like that, like you know, and he was like, oh no no no. no. So you know, I mean, Leo's the star, right? So you want to make sure Leo is in a good space, right? So I think that's what Marty Marty was trying to do. But you know, when I see it, I, the way I see it, he was kissing his ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: how was so, how was Mark Ruffalo?
1: Okay, so Mark, I, I didn't really talk to him, but I, I, you know, when he was walking on set, he just seemed really irritated. Like he just seemed very like irritated at the time. Like he wasn't trying to talk to nobody. You know, I wanted to go up to him be like, "Hey, can I take a picture?" But I, the way I was like, he just looked really irritated. And I was like, "Nah, no, nah, I'll leave it alone." So it, it was like a brief. It, I didn't really. It was like a brief pass by and, and watching him. And I was he did he looked like he did not want to be bothered.
0: Well, he's the Hulk after all. So yeah, he's, he was, I don't even just, think was the
1: Hulk then though. in the yeah. Hulk pin.
0: Maybe he, he he knew. Hulk. Yeah, he wanted to be the Hulk. <laughs>
1: But you know what, everyone, I mean, we all have our good days and bad days, man. So I, I'm not going to judge him based on that. But, you know, he just wasn't in a great mood that day.
0: <laughs> Which is fair enough. Because, I mean, we all got shit going on. I feel like exactly. that's the hard part being a celebrity is like, you know, you've got fans who have a relationship with you that I think it's called like parasocial. They've got a relationship with you, but they see you from afar and they watch you and they feel like everything you do is like you're a part of their life. And so you've been building up this moment of, like, I'm going to come and talk to you, and I finally see you, and I come and say hello, and you as the famous person or celebrity or the person they admire, you got shit going on. You had, like, a fight with your partner. You know, something went wrong with, like, payment or, like, something something happened. You're not in the headspace, and then all of a sudden you got this fan who's, like, I love you, and you're, like, like I can't do this right now. Like, I can't. I'm not in the headspace to, like, I get it, but I'm not in the place to be the person you want me to be. And
1: I, I mean, I, I've that happened to me with certain musicians, artists that I work with, that I, you know, that I looked up to. You know, I, I got disappointed when I met them. So you know, it happens. You know, um, I try to always keep good faith when when I'm out and about, when I you know I run into people and stuff like that, and people want to talk to me. You know, I just remember those times where you know I got disappointed by you know some of the artists that I looked up to. So, I, like, I, I know how to turn it on. Like, when someone comes up to me and wants to, like, you know, I'll turn it on because they're my fans, and without them, I, I'm nothing. So,
0: yeah, I think I can definitely understand. Like, just everyone's in their mood. Like, it's mm-hmm. hard to switch it back on, especially like when you're getting like you know talked to a lot. Like, if you're Leo, like it would be. Crazy, like it would be insane.
1: Yeah, it would be insane. But Will is kind of cool, though. Like he, like you, like he can give you someone a look. Like not right now. Don't don't approach me right now. People respect that. Like you know, and I, I'm kind of that way too. Like, so I see someone coming. I'm giving someone a look, and they're like, okay, all right yeah, it's probably not a good time. Like,
0: run up. Here. But then you got those people who are like, they don't read it. Like they're like they're fanatics. Yeah, yeah. And so that looks so, like you know, hey.
1: Yeah, you just got to you just I mean, at that point you you know what you signed up for. So, you know, like like I'm okay with not being like super famous. Like I want to still be able to walk around the streets. But I, I like to be like um you know, uh you got that pyramid, right? The industry, right? Like I don't want I don't need to be up here. I I could be like right here in the middle somewhere. <laughs> I'm it's cool like you
0: want to you want to be, be like recognized, but you yes. still want to be able to live your life.
1: Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Cause I, 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 like, like I said, I, I've seen fame and success at a high level. I know what it looks like. I've seen a lot of examples. I grew up in a very influential city where you got a lot of great actors and musicians. I've, you know, um, I have a lot of people in my family that do music, TV, film. I know what it looks like. You know, it gets real crazy, you know? So, um, I'm okay I'm okay. Like I'm okay with, you know, being like semi famous. <laughs> you know?
0: It's funny. that when I talk to my cause I think I'd like a little bit of fame. I think my ego would enjoy it. And I know that's not good for me, but like I think it'd help everybody. Need ego, ego though, bro.
1: Need ego. Yeah. <laughs> Need ego. I mean, like I said, um, there's a lot of people who are a lot of people know that you don't know, right? So like like I said, there's artists that I know that I worked with and there's a lot of people that don't know who they are, but they're in their world. They're famous.
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely know I'm not, but the one thing that I would n- never want to be, we're going
1: to get you there, bro. We gonna at you there. Yeah. We're, <laughs> uh,
0: one day at a time. I, I think, yeah. you know, I worry more about like, do, do your things well and everything else will come. Like you just right. got to, I, I, what I would never want to be is like those shitty kind of real life what is it um tv um what's it called
1: reality tv
0: reality like, tv those people to me stars. is the lowest form of fame it's like <laughs> and yeah. it, each their own like cause some people love it fair enough it's just not for <laughs> me like because to me it's just like the, it like yeah i don't know i can't like, even like, describe what are, you,
1: it. what are you famous for like what are you famous for right
0: well they're all just shit shows it's all just drama it's all fake it's all written by everybody else like it's not reality tv because right
1: so, so so i agree with you but um but it's entertainment people are watching it right and they play a lot of my music on those reality shows so i'm all for it
0: hey i never said the music <laughs> was bad <laughs>
1: you know what i'm saying so you know, I have a lot of placements on uh, the reality shows. Like, I have huge placements on the Kardashian show. Like, I—I I mean, they're one of the supporters. They play a lot. So, I do a lot of musical beds. A lot of my producers produce the beats and stuff like that. And it's called musical beds. And a lot of my music's on all those reality shows. So.
0: Check the credits.
1: I don't need to take the credits. I get my ASCAP report, and it shows me everything.
0: But uh, you'll—will your music be in the credits anyway?
1: No, because the music supervisors just, they pick the music and you just get the money, you just get the money at, uh, after the season's over. And So when I look at my ASCAP report, it shows me everything that's been placed. Every every TV station, every show, shows me everything. But for something big like, so for instance, uh, I did like the theme song The Black Lightning, right? Uh, the DC comic book hero. Uh, uh, black guy who shoots out lightning. I With The Rock? Huh? With The Rock? No, 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 no. no. This is Black Lightning. That you're talking about. You're talking about uh, Black Adam.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, Black Lightning, the uh, DC comic book hero, and um, he can produce lightning. So I did the theme song to that. The, so the premiere of uh, that show, they played my song for the commercial uh, of the premiere for, uh, commercial premiere for the show, and then they put me on the soundtrack. So stuff like that. Like me on it, yeah, I'll get, you know, I'll get like no writing on uh, credits and stuff like that. But a lot of the stuff we do is like it's under the radar and we're getting paid crazy amount of money for doing musical beds. We just see the reports in our ASCAP um, or BMI report and, you know, uh, how much money we made off of those uh, those TV, uh, uh, TV shows. So how do you get into that world? Like... Like I told you, I went to the ASCAP conventions and I started talking to the publishers, you know, the you know, and that's why I started my own publishing company, because I realized, oh, this is lucrative. Like I need to show other young producers and artists that they can make money in this, you know, because once I started getting checks, all the deals I was doing, I said, oh, man, okay. let let me how can I make more money as well? So I got so basically they taught me and then I started my own thing and then I taught other people and then then some people some younger people now that are older they're like yo i'm about to do the same thing you did for me like that's great that's what i'm supposed to supposed to learn from me and you know bring the next generation of people in
0: yeah it's it's so cool because like even before this conversation i completely forgot that there was music in movies and tv like i know (laughs) it you know what i mean like i know there is but i never considered like how it happens or how you get placements
1: so you, yeah so it's a music supervisor and what the deal's called a sync a sync deal it's a synchronization licensing deal. So that's that's pretty much what it is and a lot of a lot of people a lot of artists don't realize that how lucrative it can be. A lot of a lot of it, they want instant gratification they're not in for the long game you um, know but as you get older you learn some don't that's on them. So
0: yeah. Uh, do- how was it being with KRS-One? Like- it was great.
1: It was great. Um, so KRS-One, he, he was very uh, influential, like me growing up. And uh, we actually did a session in, in New Jersey. And, you know, I just kind of told him my life story and what I was doing and, you know, all the different things that I got going on. And one thing, though, I have to give to He did tell me, like, he's like, this was going to make you different, man, because I'm a sax. You know, I play saxophone, so I'm a musician. I grew up playing saxophone in um, elementary school, junior high school, high school, did a marching band. It's like, this is going to make you stand out, man. Just keep playing that saxophone It'd implement your saxophone into your raps and all that stuff. And at that time, I was like really big on the underground and wanted to like, you know, spit those bars and, you know, not be not use a lot of my musicality, just do like boom bap beats. But um, he was right about that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I had to, I, sh- I-, I needed to embrace all my gifts, and my talents to bring to hip hop culture. Um, once I started doing that, man, things started to really change for me. But the record we did together was called Hip Hop Party. Um, he did a really great job on it, Made me a monster verse, and um, that 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 kind of solidified me, you know, when it came to like, you know, being a, a rapper, you know, get, having you know, co-sign me.
0: Yeah, I feel like he's one of those people where he would live up to the expectation of like, because he also is one of those people, especially in hip-hop of like his name precedes him like he has yeah, influenced I mean, so many artists he is like you know this figure in hip-hop like iconic in hip-hop
1: yeah i mean that's true but he did teach me a lesson about business so you know with, before we got up to the hotel his manager mondo came down and was like all right you know do you guys have the money Cause, you know of course we we're gonna pay him for his verse and we're like yeah we got the money he's like okay i see the money so gave him the money and he's all right come on let's go upstairs so we went upstairs and everything was cool you know but then later on when i wanted to like shoot the video and you know wanted to get clearance for the record like that was a whole other situation going on so i learned from that you know like i there's no contract you just gave him the money he laid the verse down so i couldn't get clearance and i couldn't get a lot of things but i got to know variety and i could put on mixtapes but i couldn't sell the record you know what i'm saying like like anytime i try to put it up like it would be blocked you know what i'm saying like they'd be take it down so i learned my lesson about that like any type of collaboration or deal i did after that there was a contract and there was terms of giving people cash like you know you have to promote it you have to get you know i have to own the rights to the verse it's work for hire you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, I learned a lesson. I mean, it was great. I got the experience. I got to hang out with Karis when he taught me a lot. But he definitely, definitely taught me a lesson when it came to, like, features, you know, uh, with other artists getting features from them.
0: Because I was speaking to, I forget the artist's name, and he was like, the thing about that whole scenario is if they're signed to a label, the artist may not necessarily even be the one making the choice about whether it gets you know promote it that might be the label going
1: yeah but they know but they're taking your money they know what they're doing
0: yeah they they're taking your money of course but then obviously the <laughs> the label the label's always like well we haven't seen return on my money yet so well, like,
1: just, yeah that too but the thing is like okay yeah they take he Karis one takes my money but did he tell the label he took 5 grand from me probably not so you know i don't know but that i'm just telling you i'm just giving you some game man
0: <laughs> hey, I I appreciate it. I think this, this stuff needs to be talked about, like, because yeah, yeah. let's be honest, if you made a mistake, others are making the same mistake, whether it's with him or anybody else.
1: Right. I mean, it's still happening. Like, it's still happening. I talk to a lot of young artists now. and I'm like, oh, I got this person. I'm like, did you get clearance? Like, is he going to promote it? Is he going to, you know, like, what's going on? Like, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Like, um, then you know, like you know, uh, they just figure it out. Like they're a little skeptical at first when I tell them stuff like that, but they can do research or actions speak louder than words. Right. So I sit back and I just watch and see how the things roll out, you know? Um, and I don't know. Some people just, when they, when they learn something, when, when they take an L, some people just can't bounce back from the L, you know, from the loss, you know, but for me, it's just the learning. I learn and I, it's like a Stepping stone for me. When I learn to take a loss, it just gives me another learning lesson, but I take another step up from that. You know, okay, this is what I'm going to do next time. I'm going to make sure this is not going to happen. And I continue to continue to move forward, continue to move forward, continue to move forward.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, like five, 10 grand, yes, it's expensive, but at the same time, it's not the biggest loss you can have. And it's a like a, you know, I think it's perspective and I think. As you said it's important if this is your dream and this is something you're committed to mistakes are always going to happen. Right. Like that's part of a, a, learning.
1: Yeah, it was a $5,000 lesson. Yeah.
0: But you also got to hang out with KRS-One. You got to have his wisdom, you got to speak to him, you got to see mm-hmm. his process. So mm-hmm. it might be a $5,000 lesson, but like you still got return on what you spent at some point. So like there's no, I'm so, always
1: going to get it first of all I'm always going to get a return on anything I do. <laughs> so So it was a lesson yeah.
0: but you still got return so like yeah. it, it just the return wasn't the way you thought it would come.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: I think that's that's the way you got to look at it like I think that's what uh, uh, fucks a lot of people up is like they have a preconceived notion of like a plan and they're going to do this yeah. and then this yeah. and then this but it's like this doesn't happen and then you're all fucked up because it didn't work the way you thought. But right. I think we just gotta be recognizing that like plans are all good but you got to be able to adapt
1: you gotta be you gotta be able to adapt you gotta be able to like take it on take things on the chin um you gotta have like you gotta have the same confidence and faith in yourself um and you, you know you gotta stay you gotta stay prayed up um, or whatever energy or whatever it is that you, you know energy or whatever you believe in in this universe you know what I'm saying you have to harness that and bend it to your will. You know, like I, I believe in universal energy and karma, you know, I believe in having your chakras in line. I believe in um, all that stuff. You know, I believe in higher powers. I don't know what those higher powers are, but whatever it is, I like to I like to bend it and use it for my will. Manifestation as well. Like I've seen a lot of things that I've done or I thought it came in mind and it manifested to life. So I know it can be done because I've done it before. So. You know, I'll take lessons, right? You know, and I just apply it for the next move that I need to make and just make sure those things don't happen again. I mean, we don't make mistakes and we all, we learn from each other. And I think that's a constant thing in humanity, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I think manifestation is one of the most powerful things that we can do. I mean, you hear it about athletes all the time. They have been visualizing that last moment for a lifetime, Ever since they were kids, they've been visualizing the success of that last moment, making that final shot on the buzzer, making that final kick, and there comes a point in in their life where they are that person and they succeed. But they, when they talk about it, they're like, "I've visualized that moment since I was eight.
1: It happened yeah, twenty I, years later." Yeah, I used to have like you know I used to have dreams of me being in front of like a massive crowd performing and. It's it's a wild thing, man. When that finally happens, you know, it's wild, man. Like wow, this is actually happening. And um, but after a while, like, Comes clockwork, you know. So it's just you know, just knowing the formula and uh, just staying staying consistent, you know. And and learning, you got to be a constant learner in life and music. Like, if once you think you know everything and you don't, and it's, that's a rat's a rat for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's just giving yourself the power, like giving yourself the power to believe. That you can mm-hmm. do it and i think a lot of people they want to believe but then they doubt themselves and then the visualization doesn't work like you have to really commit
1: right and then you got and it could be another thing too you could be a lot of people around you telling you you're not going to make it or you're not it's, it's out of reach like like I, I mean i mean just for me starting my own business like I actually start my own business and I was part of different organizations and they were, I was just telling my, my goals and they're like, Oh, you're very ambitious. Like, you know, like kind of like saying like, I'm dreaming way too big, you know? And it's just like, no motherfucker. I'm not. It's just because you can't see it. Don't mean it can't be done. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people. Like they can't see themselves in those situations. That's why it doesn't.
0: I think it's funny because I had a similar conversation with one of my friends and he's, he's ambitious and it's like, I said to him, like, a lot of people think that I work really hard and I'm really ambitious, but then I look at you and I think you take it to the next level. And so to me, it's like, to them, I'm really ambitious. And in my mind, I got other people that I know that are more ambitious and take more risks and go further than I do. And it's like, it's all about levels. And I think what makes you succeed is like, you always just want to continue to upgrade. And I think there's always those people who like, will look up and go, Hey, you're, you're doing so much shit. And then you look internally and you're like, I still got more to do. I yeah. Can that's, do-
1: how I that's how I am right now. Uh, I call it growing pains. Like right now I'm, I'm scaling my business right now. I'm doing, I, I run, I run my own credit card processing company. Right. So, you know, uh, I'm, um, it's time for me to scale up you know i'm getting a lot of business things are going on, but but i feel like my messaging is not co- really correct how you know i get a lot of referrals because i you know I, I i built a network where people just refer business to me because they work with me in a prior or they still work with me or clients that are still my clients they work with you know i work with them and they they think I'm, they am solid so they refer a lot of business to me but I'm trying to get money off of the internet, like uh, people who just go onto my site and just want to like sign up with me right away, you know? So that's my objective. Um, so I'm in a grown right now. So, um, I have to, you know, uh, scale up if I want to get to the next level. Right. So that's what I'm doing right now. Is it going to be a little painful? Yeah. But I believe in what my product is and what I'm selling and what I'm, and, and what I'm doing for people. So, it's gonna be worth it because I'm investing in myself, but I'm also investing in the people who um who believe in me as well as as, as a payment processor.
0: Oh, I sometimes feel like people forget the cost of like what it is to run your own business. Oh man, it's it's the margins are very thin. <laughs> well, I think you know? also the risk, the effort, like because I think a lot of people see the end result of like, Oh, you've it's got iceberg. a successful business, right?
1: Yes, it's Theory
0: yeah but they don't see the shit they don't see the all the things all the risks all the moments you thought it wouldn't make it all the moments where it's like this really fine line between staying open and being closed like these are all the things that everyone forgets and then you see the success and it's like well damn give me a piece too and it's like you didn't do anything to earn it
1: yeah there's a lot of that going on too You know, but you know what? I just tax people who want to come and get on, get on board. It's just like, now you got to pay a tax to get, you know, a fair tax to get on the ride. (laughs) (laughs) So I just tax them for not believing, you know, like you didn't believe it. All right. I'm taxing you. You want to work with me now? Okay. I'm taxing you. Okay. You want to be part of this? Okay. I'm taxing you. (laughs) You know, so... I'm just like, oh, I, I just try to be, I just, I'm a walking monetization guy. Like anything, any connections, anything, like I'm not giving anyone any of my connections anymore for free, because I worked hard, right? 20 plus years building all my connections, all the people I know, like I put in that work and I sacrificed, right? There were times when I was in LA, like working on music and I I, I had no more money. I had to like sneak back in a hotel where I was, you know, where, you know, I rented the hotel just get one more night, no way. So it's like, I took a lot of risks, you know, and, you know, a lot of that, you know, but that's how much I believed in myself, you know, but I just had to take more calculated risks. now.
0: Well, it's clearly working. And I always appreciate artists coming on my show. Omega Red, obviously, I do have one more question for you. It is the only question that I plan on the podcast. It might be the hardest question that I've asked. And we've touched on some pretty deep topics but if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of it doesn't have to be the best album of all time i'm just saying for you that everyone should appreciate can be any genre cannot be your own music what would it be
1: can it be can it be my music
0: no can't be yours
1: all right (sighs) hmm that's interesting, man, because I have a lot. I have a wide palette of, of of artists that I like. Hmm. You know what? Redman, there is a dark side.
0: Redman, why Redman?
1: One of my all time favorite artists. And like he got me through a lot, you know, what I'm saying through high school. Yeah, so I would say uh, I would say Redman, there's a dark side. That was one of his craziest albums. I, I feel like it was the most. Cra- He's such a creative artist, anyway. You know, um, so I think that that's that that'll be it. There's a dark side.
0: Well, I love it, and you've obviously got the Wu Tang connection as well because you're wearing the Wu Tang hat. So I absolutely love that. Subconsciously, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was somewhere in that realm; it was gonna happen. Um, but obviously, Omega
1: Wu-Tang, Red Wu Tang taught me how to rap. And like my, one of my best friends in the military, he grew up on Park Hill One Eighty Park Hill, so I used to go a lot of Park Hill days. Uh, I went on tour with Cabadonna for a little bit, um, so like yeah. So Wu Tang kind of gave me my, my my skills. But uh, but yeah, just just a little tidbit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, always throwing the, the little bit at the end, like oh yeah, yeah. Wu Tang taught me how to rap. Uh, I think they taught a lot of people how to rap But man, touring with capadonna Sorry, I'm getting distracted Touring with <laughs> Capadonna would have been sick
1: Yeah, it was sick, man Look it up, man There's a couple of uh, clips of us. It's pretty dope
0: I definitely will have to As I said, Omega Red pop through um make sure you check him out make sure you you support him um his you can go to his website as well you can support his businesses uh he just dropped a couple of singles as well sticks and stones as well as home sweet home which Mm -hmm. they both came out this year um and Mm -hmm. also feel free to check out shutter island as well you might see him as in as an orderly in there just if you if you want to see more of him but um
1: there's there's another one though. It's called Highway 420. That was more recent, like I would say in the last seven years. But Eddie Griffin, Gary Owens, Devin the Dude, uh, Lil Duval. Uh yeah, that's pretty. So that that have a good I have a good scene in there. So I played a DJ on in, in a strip club at Magic City in Atlanta. So that's pretty cool. It's called Highway 420.
0: There you go. Uh, and also, you, the, I did find your track with KRS One on SoundCloud as well, so you can find the the hip hop party on SoundCloud, but man, is there anything else you wanted to plug or anything else you wanted to to shout out?
1: Yeah, just just follow me on my Instagram. It's called uh, my Instagram handles Omega Red Superfan. That's Omega S U P A F A N and uh just go on my website and you can like connect with me um download my music uh you know uh uh, subscribe to my email list so i can keep you up to date with all my concerts dates and the things i got going on so it's omegaredsuperfan.com
0: there you go make sure you check it out thanks for listening to the show please like and subscribe and follow me on instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news also don't forget to check out my patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.